Please be seated. I love having us sing that song together. It's slow and a bit dirgy, but it's sobering thinking about our rest in Christ and our temporariness in this life. When I'm ready to breathe my last, please come and sing that song to me. It just encourages and warms my heart. Well, if you've ever wondered what coffee, parking garages, phones, hotels, dentists, restaurants, and amusement parks have in common, then you've come to the right place today. Because according to the state of California, all of those things may cause cancer. And all of those things are worthy of warnings and signs. So, when you buy your $4 Starbucks, probably $6 in Los Angeles, you'll be met with a sign that says, warning, what you just purchased for $6 will kill you. (laughs) Kind of strange, I know. My grandfather said, the land of fruits and nuts. I've lived there before. I love California. Don't get me wrong. It's got great weather and great beaches. But the signage is a little extreme. And yet... We all are pretty into warnings. We, are, we all are pretty obsessed with safety. The food I ate this morning had a warning label on it. My car had a warning label on it. The mattress I slept in last night had a warning label on it. It's warnings, 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 warnings. But strangely enough, it seems strange to us to have warnings where the Bible actually has warnings. Jesus again and again and again warns, strangely enough, surprisingly enough, about religion and specifically religious leaders. And that's what we're going to learn about this morning from Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can find the 16th chapter of Matthew's gospel account. And we will hear Jesus warn again and again and again, beware, beware, beware. And so while I might not be into all of these crazy warnings in our culture, I'm really into this kind of warning, and I hope you're really into it as well, because religion and religious leaders can be very dangerous, the kind that's hurtful in this life and hurtful in the next. And so our text is Matthew 16. Let's go ahead and pre-read it together. I think we have time to do that. We'll look at the opening 12 verses where Jesus warns about religious leaders. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered, gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did, I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So it's going to be quite the doozy today, if you will, because it's going to be Jesus locking and loading, uh, letting them have it, and it's going to be Jesus warning, warning, warning his slow-on-the-uptake disciples. I hope our takeaway today, after we do a little bit deeper dive, is that we would beware, 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 because there are still dangerous religious leaders, and we need to be able to be discerning to be able to discern what their dangerous doctrines are and how they operate because they're like leaven, hard to see, hard to spot, and before you know it, it's taken over. So that's sort of where we're headed. So who are the actors? Who are these people, the Pharisees, Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, we've been learning about the Pharisees. If you're just joining us, we're working our way through this whole gospel account. You came at the right time. I just say that. You're welcome to be here. Glad you're here. But just so you know, we've been learning about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees recently. And here's what we've learned. The Pharisees said they believe the Bible is true. Okay, They're part of the right religion. They believe the Bible is true, but maybe even out of sincere motives, they've said it has to be Bible plus their sacred traditions because we really don't want people uh, to do wrong things. Well, Jesus confronts them because by having introduced this new authority, they end up not actually doing what the Bible actually says. And so when you add to in the name of God, it usually doesn't help. It actually hurts. And so we've already seen Jesus engage the Pharisees, official religious leaders. Uh, Jesus was getting so popular, we learned already, that the Pharisees were sent to the Galilee region Okay, far away from Jerusalem because they need to find out what this Jesus is up to. Okay, he's maybe posing a threat. We need to address this Jesus. So Pharisees, Bible plus, and Jesus lets them have it for that. Sadducees think this. Think pendulum overswing. They too would say they believe the Bible. But they don't like the Pharisees Bible plus stuff. So they go super far the other direction, and they only like the first five books of the Bible. And they're sort of a weird, what I'm going to call a weird extreme biblicist kind of strain, okay? In a weird extreme sense. If you can't prove a certain teaching in one verse explicitly, then we don't believe it's true. Especially not, it has to be in the Pentateuch. I'm saying that because in Acts 23... It says that the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. It says they don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits. And then it says in Acts 23, but the Pharisees believe in all of those things. But it wasn't because they were theologically liberal. Oh, we're not supernaturalists. It's because they were super narrow in their views of Scripture. So again, pendulum swing. Pharisees, Bible plus. We don't want to be like them. So we're going to be almost like Bible minus. To an extreme. Maybe a few other things about the Sadducees. Small group, aristocracy kind of group, wealthy. I think this is the only time in the New Testament they're ever described as being outside of Judea. They're typically associated with the temple. They're into politics. They don't mind working with the Roman government to accomplish their purposes. Uh, Where I'm going with all of this is, it's oil and water. They don't like each other. Okay? But as the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my what? Is my friend. 
these, these guys don't like each other. But Matthew describes them, describes them together with the same article, the Pharisees and Sadducees, as if they're united, as if they're one party, which is really strange. But while the truth unites us sometimes, lies sometimes unite us, and they're united against Jesus, that's who the actors are, okay? So that's who the actors are. So if we continue to move, move through this text regarding those two groups, both conservative, both would say they believe the Bible is true, but in different ways, here's the match made in hell. Verse 1 goes on to say, and to test him. Think test, as we've seen with, on other occasions, with a sinister plot. We're not testing him to see uh, if he's legit or not. We're testing him because we want to have him fail. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And I don't know about you, but I've been reading this long enough to go, I've about had it up to here with these kinds of requests. Because it's not really about a sign, right? It's not really about a sign for them because Jesus has been, do, been doing all kinds of signs. He's been showing again and again and again and again and again and again that He meets the requirements. The long before promised Messiah who would be the ultimate king, not a tyrant king, not an abusive king, not a manipulative king, but the ultimate king who would provide for, who would protect, who would meet all of the needs of the people in all the right senses as promised in the Old Testament. He's the one, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. He met the Jewish people's needs. He met the Gentile people's needs. Signs, 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 signs. It's just, it's been nothing but signs. And they say, show us a sign and then we'll believe. <laughs> We're going, yeah, right. We've, we, we, we've seen the pattern already. And so, verse 2 says, he answered them. He answered them, when it is evening, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. A version of something we've heard before, right? Red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take what? Take warning. He says, you guys are, you guys are pretty smart. You're, you're discerning. You, you know how to interpret things. You know, you know how to categorize things and figure things out. You don't need a sign. You clearly don't need a sign. And where he's going is, the greatest event ever in human history, what all of human history has been waiting for, is here, not in your heart, not in your imagination, but on planet Earth, in the Middle East, in the first century, for witnesses to see. We're not talking about fake history. We're talking about real, real history. There, there've never been signs like this before. All around. So famous, they've sent the Pharisees. And now they've sent the Sadducees. You, you need a sign? And, and think of this too. You need a sign? You, you guys who claim to be Bible experts? You guys who claim to be waiting for the ultimate coming king, the Christ, the Messiah? You need a sign? And so it says in verse 3, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you, you Bible people supposedly, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. It's blistering, it's intense, it's, I'm trying to read it that way because you, you of all people, you, you keep teaching the Bible to other people, you tell other people to have a, a messianic hope. 
One day Messiah will come and deliver us from the oppression of the Romans and all oppression and, and it'll be wonderful. And, and you're, not, you're not affirming me. You religious leaders who carry Bibles, probably scrolls, but you get the idea. And I don't know about you, but that, this, this is troubling to me because I'm a Bible guy. I mean, we all came to Omaha Bible Church today. <laughs> but see, he's going to talk about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because these people he's dealing with are not the Canaanites. They're not the Baal worshipers. That's obvious enough for anybody to figure out. Watch out for the guys who say they're the Bible guys. And they can't even figure out who the Messiah is, or they won't. Has my attention. Hope it has yours. So what does Jesus say to these Bible guys? Verse 4 says, And evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. I keep saying this over and over again, but you see why they're going to kill him. He's pointing the finger at them. You're not virtuous. You're evil. And not only that, you are spiritual adulterers. Now, why would he use that metaphor? He would use that metaphor because multiple times in the Old Testament, Israel is regarded as the wife of the Lord, the bride of the Lord, Yahweh's bride, God's bride belonging to him. They're devoted to him. He's devoted to them. I will, be my, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's a formal relationship like a marriage kind of relationship. And he calls them spiritual adulterers, unfaithful. I, I don't know how you get a worse kind of um, degrading kind of put down. They're the elites who are supposed to be shepherding the people who know things and are, are, are faithful and devout. And he says, actually, you're spiritual adulterers. crazy. Jesus is definitely not trying to get elected, right? It's so counterintuitive. You'd think, well, he's going to work with the uh, current establishment. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be a signing bonus because he has a lot of things to offer, right? He can do some pretty amazing things. And so he's just going to fix the current broke system. No, he calls them out, you're evil and you're adulterers. You don't know the first thing about reality. Pretty, pretty intense. And then it says rather intensely, but it's more veiled. But you'll get it. Verse 4 goes on to say, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And that makes me kind of smirk because I have a sinister heart and I kind of like what he just did there. I don't know if you caught it or not. The only sign for you is the sign of Jonah, which is tied earlier in Matthew's gospel account to resurrection. The only sign for you, resurrection denying Sadducees, is the resurrection. Hmm. Fascinating. You may want to just jot down if you want to look it up later. I won't take the time to go there. But in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul teaches that the resurrection not only is hopeful and good for those who trust in Christ because it means new life for us, But resurrection is also proof that God will judge the world. Having furnished proof by raising Jesus from the dead. Okay, so resurrection is good for you if you trust in Christ. But if it's not, you Pharisees and Sadducees, there's a sign for you, all right? Pretty intense. 
Hope you didn't come here to be uplifted today. Um, <laughs> but I hope you did come to think clearly. Because we have a, we even today have a world that lots of people say they believe the Bible is true. And maybe churches should have warning signs. May not cause cancer, but it may cause serious confusion and maybe even worse. I don't want us to be that kind of church. I don't want to be that kind of pastor, but I know the danger is real. And then it says in verse 4, so he left them and departed. He refused to give them what they wanted. Did you notice how different that is from Jesus in chapter 15 dealing with the Canaanite woman? The pagan idol worshiper woman who came to him for help. And it doesn't say there she wanted help and at the end of the story, Jesus departed. No, she came for help because she actually had some spiritual sense about her by God's grace and saw him for who he is. There were plenty of signs for her to be able to go and say, help me, and Jesus helps her. And here these guys say, show us a sign. We know they don't really mean it. And so how different. He leaves them. He departs from them. It's a form of judgment. He left them. Okay, now we're going to transition a little bit and keep things moving. In verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, so back to the western side of the lake, the Galilean lake, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Just ever so quickly, I want to just say these guys. But, but let's save that for now because, I mean, think about it. The greatest thing ever, human history has been waiting for this extraordinarily so, a la Hebrews chapter 1. This is the event of history, right? And, and, and all kinds of things have been happening, right? One side of the lake to the other side of the lake, Jews, Gentiles, feeding of the thousands, feeding of different kinds of thousands. All of this stuff is happening. Let's cut them a break and say, it would have been a confusing time. So they, they forgot their bread. Let's just leave it for there, for, for, for now. Verse 6 says, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sometimes leaven is positive, like in chapter 13. Obviously here it's negative. It's dangerous. It's going to go where you can't see it and permeate. And before you know it, it's everywhere. Watch out. Then it says, in verse 7, And they, the disciples, began discussing among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. And now it's time to go, Really? Spiritually dense. Dimwits. I asked my wife, what's, another, what's a good synonym for dimwits? She said, Well, our kids would say, Cotton-headed ninny-muggins. <laughs> so, if you're not an elf fan, you're old. So... They're slow on the uptake. And you go, really? Huh? Yeah, what? But maybe to give them a little bit of a break, maybe they're just following what they learned when they went to Bible college and they were told to always take the Bible literally. <laughs> Taking a shot. Always and never get pretty dangerous. Sometimes you should say always and never. But when people say, always take the Bible literally, I think about passages like this. He's using a figure of speech. Okay? He's not talking about leaven. He's not talking about bread. And, oh, Jesus says, watch out for the leaven. We didn't even bring any bread. Taking the Bible literally. That's why I more and more like to say, what we want to do is take the Bible and try to figure out the author's intention. What's authorial intent? 
What's he, what's he getting at here? Well, they, they don't get it. Cotton-headed ninny muggins, hermeneutics. Verse 8. I, you notice I have to look at my notes to figure it out. My kids, you know, they know every line of the whole movie. I don't quite know it. Okay. But Jesus said, it says in verse 8, But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet comprehend? Have you not put two and two together yet? Do you not remember the five loaves or the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Remember there were leftovers? Uh, Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered because there were leftovers? I met the needs of the Jews. I met the needs of the Gentiles. I am the Savior of the world. I can cross-reference in my mind to John chapter 6. I'm the bread of the world. I'm the bread of life. Excuse me. I'll take care of everybody's needs. You need to trust me. Faith means trust. It's going to be okay. Then in verse 11, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood. Here's the light bulb moment that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread or of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, it dawns on them. That's what he was getting at. They are what we need to watch out for and what they perpetuate, what they teach. Bread is not the issue at all. Beware, beware, beware. Beware, beware. What I would like to do now as we wrap up, we are going to look at one other passage, but to ask and answer some questions along with you, hoping you're thinking along with me and hoping you're going to be able to answer some of these questions with my help or even without my help. Because there needs to be a takeaway to all of this and not just have us learning history. History is really important, but there's more to it than just that. My first question is, what is this teaching? What is this teaching? And you could say, well, it's the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, smart mouth. (laughs) What is this teaching? And here's, here's why I'm saying it that way. Because it's described as, at the very end of our text in verse 12, the teaching. And I don't think that's a mistake, but that's provocative. Because they're not united in their teaching. Think about it. Pharisees and Sadducees, two different camps theologically, two radically different camps. They don't have a teaching. They have two different teachings. Jesus says they have one teaching. What would he mean? That's interesting. I think we could unite it this way. Whether you're a Pharisee, Bible plus, Sadducee, Bible minus, super narrow, What unites both groups is they don't need Jesus. Go back to our theme verse, chapter 1, verse 21. They don't need Jesus to be the one who came to save his people from their sins. They're united in that. This group says if we just add to God's law these ceremonies and these certain things, God will accept us. 
And this group over here has a little bit different take on things. We're not going to add to. We're going to strip it down. And they end up being confused as well. Maybe since they're so political, they can usher it in through the politics, working through the Romans. It could be all sorts of different things. The one thing that unites both groups is they're good enough as is and God accepts them. They don't see their need for being not helped, not aided by grace, saved. And I'm going to emphasize it for what it is. It's actually passive in this sense. He came, remember he's named Jesus, chapter 1, verse 21. The, The Messiah should be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will deliver them. He will do the lifting. He will do the work. He is the great one who alone can do that. Beware of leaven, of whatever kind of teaching it is, where you don't need someone to save you from your sins. And remember, these guys are Bible teachers. They're not denying the Bible is true. They're actually affirming the Bible is true. I could teach the Bible in such a way where you would conclude, because the Bible's filled with commands and the Bible's filled with promises, and sometimes if you're not thinking clearly in light of who Christ is, it's kind of alphabet soup. I could, I could make the Bible teach anything apart from the centrality of Christ being the one who came to save his people from their sins. Beware, be careful. Beware and be careful. Let's look at one other passage, and that's Romans chapter 10, if you would. Romans chapter 10. I love Romans 10, maybe because I used to think it was so hard to understand, and now I think it's so easy to understand. But Romans 10 is so helpful because it helps us to see God's standard is actually unattainable. And that really exposes false religious leaders who say, as long as you follow my example, as long as you follow these Bible principles, as long as you, and maybe God is even going to help you in doing this, it's going to be okay with you. And what Romans 10 does is masterful, complementing Jesus' teaching. It shows us that we absolutely can't do it. We can't even do it with God's help. We need someone to do it for us, to meet all the obligations for us. In other words, we need someone to save us from our sins. Okay? So Romans 10 uh, is fascinating. I hope it's real simple and clear to you as we look at it. It says in verse 1, Brothers, the Apostle Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them. He's talking about the Jews, according to chapter 9, 10, and 11. For them is that they... The Jews may be saved. Oh, think of 121 again. He longs for them to be saved. I so wish my fellow countrymen would come to be rescued from their sins. Okay, let's keep reading. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They they have God talk, right? They have the God book. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Knowledge about what is a good question. Well, let's keep reading. Four. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God, that's a law word. It's God's legal requirement. They're ignorant about God's 
legal requirements. They're ignorant about God's law, what God requires. They're ignorant about that. They think God requires maybe that we do some hard things, but they forget what God's law actually requires. We know what God's law actually requires because Jesus tells us multiple times, he says, it's love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he requires. Have fun with that. God's righteous requirement is that you love God. Other smart Christians have said before us personally, perfectly, and perpetually heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of your being perfectly and your neighbor as yourself. They're ignorant of that. They, th- they, they teach law light. Do your best. Follow these principles. Buy my book or whatever it is. Follow my life. They're ignorant about God's righteousness. Okay, let's keep reading. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, God's legal standards, and seeking to establish their own... See, that's what happens, right? If, if you say it's not this ac- actual, perfect, perpetual, personal obedience, well, we have to have something because God wouldn't just let us in. So we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to do this and we need to do that. Maybe the Pharisees do more, the, the Sadducees do less, but both groups are, are establishing some standard. They, st- they establish their own. Okay, keep reading. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And everything about the context of Romans is God's provision of righteousness in Christ. Jesus Christ, who is called in the New Testament, the righteous, the obedient one. They don't come to God on his terms. God's provision of righteousness. And it says in verse 4, for Christ, see, I wasn't reading into it, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Both kinds of groups, even though they say they're Bible people, somehow teach if you follow this, do this, accomplish this, work hard at this, it's going to be okay. And so they're, to quote Paul, they're not saved because they don't need to be saved from their sins because they themselves can do it. So keep it in mind. Any time... The teaching is you can do it on your own. You don't need to be rescued. In any form of that, whether it's in a church building or outside of a church building, whether people use Bible verses or not, I'm saying to you, beware, 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 beware. How about this? Maybe in these terms. If you're understanding, if, if I'm teaching you some sort of religion and some sort of gospel way to get in and it'll allow you to one day see God and meet God and say, we did it. You're wrong. Even if it's one half of 1%, we did it. When we have glimpses of heaven, like in the book of Revelation, here's what we see the people doing there who are there. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And they're talking about Jesus. He did it. And so we worship him. He came to save his people from their sins. I realize it assaults our pride because I want to do it myself. Maybe with God's help. No, he came to save his people from their sins. One other question, actually, I have two other questions. What makes the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees so dangerous? It sneaks in. These are the Bible guys. I could do this. People do this. 
It's not that hard. It's not that hard. I could teach the Bible in such a way that wouldn't have Christ as the answer and center to the whole thing. And I can make it do a lot of weird, weird things. Awful things. It's dangerous. So Jesus warns because it's secretive. It comes from the right religion. But it doesn't save. Final question. You all have been very patient. Thank you. Number three. What would this look like today? What would this look like today? Well, I can ignore the standard that needs to be met. I can lower the standard that needs to be met. Because once you do that, you don't need to have someone to save you from your sins, violations of God's law. Pretty easy to do. Really easy to do. So at Omaha Bible Church, I like to be very very clear that God requires perfect obedience. We need to be really clear on that. Romans 10 would have us to be really clear on that. God's law condemns. It's good, but we're not, and so we're in trouble. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the perfect life of obedience by Jesus, because He loved God and loved neighbor as Himself, as one of us. The crucifixion of Jesus because He makes atonement. He, he, he brings forgiveness of sins because He dies in our place to be judged in our place. He's raised from the dead on our behalf as well. And it's good news to us because He's done this for us in place of us. So God's law requires perfect obedience and we're smoked. God's gospel is good news to us because it comes to us freely. It came to Him at a great cost, but it comes to us freely. He came to save His people from their sins. What this looks like today oftentimes is we take God's law and we water it down and we take God's gospel and we water it down and we have that terrible thing that we call around here gospel. And gospel is the problem. When you ruin God's law, And you ruin God's gospel. And now it's faith and works. And eventually, if you do enough, God will let you in. It's damning. It's dangerous. But you can teach it using Bible verses. We need to be careful to teach the Bible in such a way that there's no mistaking the fact that Christ is the answer. He's the center. He's the fulfillment. He and He alone is the one who came to save His people from their sins. If you get this and figure this out and it's not rocket science, you can be a discerning person and you can take Jesus' words to heart. Beware. Beware. And next week, if I'm here preaching and I just tell you principle after principle after principle about what you should do in your life, I could do it with Bible verses. And as long as I tell you, today you've heard God's law. Would I be lying? I wouldn't be lying. The Bible's filled with a lot of commands. I wouldn't be lying at all. But if I told you, today you've heard good news, I'd be lying. I'd be lying. There's a place for both. But when we confuse the two, we're in a lot of trouble. And now it's the teaching, the unified teaching of the scribes and the 
excuse me, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I misspoke. Beware, 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 because if we're not careful, we might not have a gospel left. And that's our calling. Good news. Good news. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jesus and his warning. Thank you for the fact that we learn a lot. Thank you for the fact that he loves us enough to not say everything is fine when not everything is fine. Help us to be sober-minded people. Help us to be people who have joy in our hearts because of the gospel, who are not easily manipulated and confused by those who say they're teaching the Bible, but apart from the perfect work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.